Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Uh, Heavenly Father, just uh, I want to thank you for Kate and who she is and all the ways that you've been at work in her life. God, thank you for the opportunity I've had to be able to walk with her in these last few years, uh, being her youth pastor, and now getting to see her uh, step into uh, this morning in faith, trusting you, knowing that you are a God who calls all of us to preach your gospel, um, and this morning she has a special treat of preaching the gospel to us. So I just thank you, God. I pray calmness and peace over her. I pray especially for your Holy Spirit to fill her in this moment and hold her securely in your hands as she uh, faithfully presents the gospel to us in Psalm 126. So God, we, we give her to you, and we also ask that you would help us receive your message this morning, receive your word. Whatever you have to say to us, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our ears to listen and to also be changed and obey whatever it is you want to say to us this morning. So we thank you, God, for this wonderful opportunity to hear your word, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Um, Thanks, Erin. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to those who are new here at Lambert Park Church. Um, My name is Kate, and I have um, been attending Lambert for just over two years now. I still remember the first time I walked through these doors, and I was almost immediately welcomed by many youth, young adults, and other members. And I'm so grateful for the rich and diverse community we have here at Lambrick. Um, I'm so thankful and excited to be, have the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. So, the Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, a collection of poetry, a prayer book, the living word of God, yet a book that we may not often reach for. Not so often do we see it rising to the top of our list of favorites, or we encounter someone saying, wow, the Psalms, they're just so relatable. And although there are several popular Psalms, like Psalm 23, Psalm 40, Psalm 62, we may tend to see the Psalms more as a collection of disconnected inspirational quotes, rather than a book to do a studies or a series on. Now, I don't know if anyone else did this, but when I was younger and I didn't really know what part of the Bible to read, I would kind of just flip to a random page, you know, see what, see what happens. And because it lies in the middle, I would often end up with a random psalm. And honestly, to me, they all kind of sounded the same. And it got me wondering, what is this trying to show me? How does this even connect to the gospel, the good news of Jesus? But through this season of studying, discussing, and reading the Psalms out loud, I've come to understand that these chapters are filled to the brim with beautiful and encouraging experiences of God's people, people just like us, and that they reveal God's nature, themes of loving kindness, protection, mercy, and joy for his people. In fact, there are over 300 commands within the Psalms, urgent suggestions like meditate, bless, remember, and praise. Not only that, but it's so evident that through the Psalms, as well as other Old Testament books, um, that the story of Jesus, the power of God, the good news of Christ is interwoven through these words, like thread on a loom. 
And I'm so thankful that together with various other members of the congregation, we have the opportunity this summer to dive into a section of this book that seems to be unexplored, off our radar and filled with mystery. Over the last several weeks, we've been hiking together as pilgrims on a journey, diving into the themes and applications of the Psalms of Ascent in our series, Steadfast Songs. These songs were sung by pilgrims as they made the long and strenuous trek up to the city of Jerusalem, also known as Mount Zion, a few times a year for a reoccurring feast. Now I recall a backpacking trip I took last year where we compiled a playlist to keep us moving and motivated, an unusual mix of rock, folk, reggae, rap, and some movie themes. Now, similar to us, this ancient playlist had to be diverse, with many different genres scattered throughout it. A necessity for a long road trip where boredom strikes all too frequently. And when the pilgrims faced trouble, anxiety, or even doubt along the journey, the messages in these songs must have brought them immense comfort and support. And so we began our adventure a few weeks back in Psalm 120 where we witnessed a people who cry out to a God that hears them and holds a trustworthy track record. In Psalm 121, we've seen the Lord who is faithful and will not let us fall, who upholds us and preserves our path. 122, we've developed a gratitude for our God who values justice and peace among his people. 123, we've shared the thoughts of our God as a compassionate master who hears us and shows us his mercy in the depths of darkness. And 124, a joyous cheer we've heard, a shout of praise that the Lord is our protector in all situations. And just last week in Psalm 125, the message Priscilla shared that God provides us with a deep sense of security that brings us freedom and patience as we wait for Christ's return. Wow, so much goodness we've seen thus far. Today, we get to experience a blast from the past. Nostalgia, we all feel it, all the time. And although I'm young, I feel it too, no doubt. I remember uh, just thinking back to my days of early childhood when I could get away with pretty much anything, including climbing out the window onto my roof. and. I had limited responsibilities. I mean, I wasn't even tall enough to mow the lawn yet. Good times. <laughs> and it's not just me. I've heard countless stories from my parents and others just saying, ah, like it's so, it was so much easier and better and just more fun back then. Why can't it be like that now? And if you feel the same way, well, I'll tell you, you're not alone. In fact, even back around 500 BC, the pilgrims on this journey felt the same way. The only difference is that their nostalgia turned into an inexpressible joy and hope for the future. I'll invite you now to open your Bibles or apps or whatever you do <laughs> um, to Psalm 126. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. 
The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. So right away, when looking at this text, what do we see interwoven within these words? What jumps out at a first glance? Well, in my first read through, I recognize that there's a great emphasis on joy. Songs of joy, laughter, filled with joy, it's everywhere. The memories of, the, of joy in the past are paralleled by the longing for joy in the future. This clear distinction between um, the two main ideas in this passage is shown by the clear distinction between the past and the future. It acts as a natural separation. Now, the beginning portion written in past tense allows us to explore the memories of how God brought immense joy through the restoration of his people. The second half, explained in future tense, gives us two word pictures, points of assurance that lead us towards a hope that this restoration will be completed, that this longed-for joy will continue just as it has in the past. So we begin to see this psalm in two separate parts. The first half, a people joyfully remembering all the good things that God has done for them, which is then mirrored in the second half, a people of hope, longing for God to move in the ways like he has in the years before. Let's move back into the passage and take a look at the first point. So looking at first, verse one, jumping into the past where it says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. It's evident that the psalmist is referring to a particular event that occurred, a dra- causing a drastic, overwhelming joy for the pilgrims on this very journey. And although it is not explicitly mentioned in these verses of this psalm, based on the time period, it is likely that this event was the return of the exiles from brutal Babylonian captivity. Now, you might be thinking, oh, this, I I can stop listening. This doesn't really apply to me. I'm not in exile. Well, if you were present during our study of 1 Peter last year, you may recall the very first verse of the book, which outlines the recipients of Peter's letter, all of us. It goes like this from 1 Peter 1, verse 1. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Hmm, so are we exiles? I mean, most of us seem to be living pretty comfortable lives. Philippians 3 verse 20 gives us some insight. Referring to the people of God who have their minds set not on earthly things, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we are exiles, captive to sin and death and the brokenness in this world, but thankfully we look forward to the day when we are fully restored, dwelling with our Father in heaven. Now that we can hopefully relate a little better to this group of pilgrims, let's observe their reaction to this unexpected event, their miraculous freedom from exile. They were astonished, flabbergasted, in complete awe and surprise. 
they did not see this one coming, like at all. It was too good to be true. It was like they were in a dream, as the passage puts it. Have you ever seen like such a beautiful sunset or landscape or just tasted such amazing food that you thought like, wow, this, this cannot be real? Well, these people had that same feeling, but it was magnified by like 10,000 times. This was true God-given joy. Now, the word for joy in this passage is quite different from happiness. It's easy to mix these two up. Happiness is temporary and ultimately unfulfilling. It is often the result of hard work, determination, and perhaps even some luck. And we are capable of creating happiness for ourselves on our own accord. On the flip side, moments of joy are not by our own doing, but are given to us by God. The Hebrew word for being filled with laughter or singing songs of joy, phrases from this passage is rana. It translates to ringing shout or rejoicing. This type of joy comes from the Lord alone. It cannot be manufactured, nor can it be bought. As Eugene Pearson puts it in his commentary on the Psalms of Ascent, joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. It's a gift from God. It's the feeling, the sense of delight that we get when we realize that God's ways are reliable and secure and way beyond what we could imagine. In a morning devotion the other day, I was moved by Matthew 7, 11, which says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I was struck by this feeling of reassurance, knowing that our Father yearns to give us this gift of joy. As the second of the nine fruits of the Spirit outlined in Galatians 5, verse 22, joy is an attribute a quality given to those who walk by the Spirit and deny the desires of the flesh. Furthermore, those who experience true Christian joy feel an urgent desire to share it with others. Joy is communal, which brings us into the next verse. Verse two shows us that not only did the people of God witness this amazing feat of restoration, but that among the nations it was proclaimed the Lord has done great things for them. These people, not all of whom were believers, recognized that such a miraculous and unexpected miracle of revival could have only been brought forth by the Lord, Yahweh. These neighbors, some of which probably worshiped others, other gods, concluded that our God is all-powerful and sovereign. How amazing is that? This acknowledgement is echoed by the pilgrims and this element of repetition in the poem further elevates the significance of this event. By translating these very lines into the language of our day, we see that by expressing our spiritual joy around others, we may be given the opportunity to share the good news of Christ, thus passing on that same joy to others. So a quick little recap here. These people who were experiencing the most unimaginable, unbearable pain and suffering were all of a sudden restored by our good God. Following this, they proclaimed their joy, rejoicing with gladness and laughter. Everyone in the nation heard of this news of restoration and acknowledged that it was the mighty work of the Lord. That was in the past. 
Let's jump ahead to the future and point number two. How are these people who were graciously restored doing now? In this next section, verses four to six, we see a drastic turnaround, a change in tone, a shift in mood. From an overwhelming joy to a tiresome recognition that sorrow and hardship still lurk in and around us, and that there is yet more restoration to be done. Additionally, we see two ways that make up the path to this final and complete restoration. These two pictures show us that God is not done with us, but that he promises a finale of renewal. The restoration has only begun. Verse four begins with a solemn prayer. It says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. These people are calling out to a God who hears them and knows their every need. They've had a history of joy and they long for more of it. Here, the first vivid picture comes into play. The Negev, a barren desert in southern Israel, dry, eroded, crusty, cracking clay as the foundation with no thriving vegetation in sight. Is this our condition? Are we, like these pilgrims, in need of renewal? Tired of suffering and pain and hardship in the midst of a broken world, in desperate need of rest, longing to be filled with the waters of life and joy? I definitely am, and you might be as well. So what comes next? Every so often, this scorched desert unexpectedly becomes overwhelmed by a flooding and rushing of clear, cool waters that urge the growth and flourishment of plants and flowers along the banks. An unearned, immediate, and unexpected moment of refreshment, a submergence of joy. In a similar way, after a long season of waiting, God's grace intervenes without warning. Many of us have felt this at some point in our lives, and many of us pray for it in this season. An urgent moment of joy after a season of trials, suffering, brokenness, grief. A sneak peek into what God's kingdom will be like. I'm thankful to have felt it in some of the hardest and darkest moments, an unexplainable peace when I should have been stressed, and an unusual sense of assurance when others were expecting me to worry. Sometimes we only realize years later how God worked diligently through the hardest moments when we thought we were alone and brought joy out of it, not what we had expected. This taste of the kingdom leaves us eager for more, but also wondering why. Why must the cycle of suffering and joy continue? Why is the Christian life so hard? When will the restoration be complete? As the theme verse from our previous sermon series, Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. A reminder that our God is in the process of restoration. And although the battle has been won, Christ has triumphed over evil and death, we await the complete restoration when Christ comes again. So as we come to our Lord in prayer as the pilgrims did, let us ask earnestly for these moments of God-given joy. 
a rest from the busyness and toil of hard work, but also acknowledging that the Lord's understanding is beyond ours, that as he brings renewal, he has grand plans for an eternal rushing river of restoration. The second image comes to us in verses five and six. It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. In this section, we begin to see that along with earnest prayer, those who sow or plant their seeds graciously with patience will certainly reap a plentiful harvest, carrying sheaves or large bundles of crop back with them. Now, where are my gardeners in the room? Yeah, (laughs) I love gardening, preparing the soil, gently covering the tiny seeds at the start of the season, watching the stalks spring up from the ground, and finally enjoying the ripe and delicious veggies. It's so rewarding to have all that hard work in the heat of the day, early morning watering and weeding pay off when the first sweet strawberry touches my taste buds. But do you know what I hate about gardening? When the slugs eat all the strawberries, the deer munch on the lettuce, the rabbits pull up the carrots, and the wind snaps off the stems of the peas, the harvest is ruined, and all that hard work is for nothing. The good news? With God's garden, it's not like that at all. Our tears and sorrows are not lost, but rather they lead to the fulfilling results of the harvest. The destructive weather and hungry animals cannot ruin this feast. Through our slow and arduous work as we toil with tears and carry our suffering, our seed, we learn that by faithfully sowing it in the gospel truth, we are guaranteed a plentiful harvest. This is a promise. Unfortunately, we don't always sow faithfully. And as selfish beings, we seem to be more concerned with our own comfort most of the time. It seems obvious that to achieve joy in our lives, we must eliminate all pain and suffering, right? Well, turns out that doesn't really work out too well. It just leaves us endlessly searching for more earthly things, validation from others and fulfillment of our desires. A never-ending loop of I want more blank. This kind of sounds like Galatians 6, 8, which says, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Destruction? That is not what we want. So how do we sow in faithfulness to please the spirit? A sowing that leads to the joy of the Lord. An excerpt from Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, gives some insight. The joy that develops in the Christian way of discipleship is an overflow of spirits that comes from feeling good not about yourself, but about God. We find that his ways are dependable, his promises sure. This joy is not dependent on our good luck in escaping hardship. It is not dependent on our good health and avoidance of pain. Christian joy is actual in the midst of pain suffering, loneliness, and misfortune. So by centering ourselves in a God who gives abundantly, 
Even in the midst of pain and suffering, we can anticipate the eternal joy that is promised for us in the next season. And likewise, in a season of temporary joy in this world, we can acknowledge and understand that there will be future tears to sow in faith. The reality of a broken and sinful world. Thankfully, we know that the Lord is making all things new. As this passage takes us through a transition from hard gospel sowing work, genuine prayer and patience to the eternal gift of joy from God, we see a beautiful parallel to the life of Jesus Christ. The ultimate example of how hardship and suffering are essential to the abundant blossoming of joy. Christ suffered immensely to give us the gift of salvation and joy in him. In 1 Peter 5:10, our gracious God promises that after we have suffered a little while on this earth, he will restore us, making us strong, firm, and steadfast. This promise of eternal God-given joy reminds me of a quote from Timothy Keller, an American pastor, which says, the most rapturous delights you have ever had in the beauty of a landscape or in the pleasure of food or in the fulfillment of a loving embrace are like dewdrops compared to the bottomless ocean of joy that it will be like to see God face to face. That is what we are in for, nothing less. And according to the Bible, that glorious beauty and our enjoyment of it has been immeasurably enhanced by Christ's redemption of us from evil. And as people here today, all of us on this pilgrim journey, walking together in fellowship, we can learn to rely on our community, each other, in the midst of the difficult times for as it is written in 1 Peter 5, verse 9, you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. As we look forward in anticipation to a promise of eternal God-given joy, we can find peace in the moment, in the midst of whatever we may be facing. So we're gonna end today by doing something a little bit different, something I've participated in at some young adults' worship nights. I feel like it's really helped me grow as a Christian and feel more engaged and connected to this wonderful community. So we're gonna take the next eight minutes or so here, and I'm gonna ask you to find one or two people around you to form a little prayer group. I just ask that you refrain from running across the sanctuary to find your best friend just so that it doesn't get too hectic in here. I encourage you to share any prayer requests with your group before you begin, and just to keep your voices down slightly, just enough so we can hear those beside us. And lastly, if you're uncomfortable or do not wish to pray with a group today, that's totally okay. Feel free to take this time for a personal reflection or prayer. And when the time is up, the music team um, will slowly interrupt us and bring us back into a short time of worship. So I'll invite you to find your groups and begin at this time.